right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to today's uh, special session of Two Points of View at Two. Um, you may have noticed that we changed the time of this once webinar. It's 5 p.m. Central here, uh, but uh, this is a multi-continent session. Uh, it's 2 o'clock somewhere, uh, maybe Alaska, I think, uh, 2 p.m. It's, it's somewhere somewhere like that. I think it's 3 p.m. In, in Los Angeles, so we'll just we'll call it 2 p.m. In, in Alaska. And uh, it is 8 a.m. where our speaker is uh, in a beautiful uh, greater metropolitan Melbourne area in Australia. And uh, we are happy to welcome and introduce uh, Gio Lodi to this presentation. He is going to discuss a test-driven mindset, how to adopt a test-driven mindset. Um, so um, oops, that was supposed to do that. There we go. Uh, <laughs> um, so um, he's going to talk about uh, this, how this test-driven mindset focuses on um, iteration and feedback in all the areas of software product development. And um, Gio is the author of Test Driven Development in Swift. Um, and Swift is a development, uh, I guess you'd say language for uh, yeah, language. iOS, it's a, right? It's a programming language. Yeah, yeah, kind of the successor to Objective C, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, so he's been exploring testing and automation since uh, uh, 2011. Um, he encountered TDD while working uh, at a startup with his uh, university housemates. So uh, Geo publishes his findings in his uh, his blog, uh, which uh, we we have it as a link here. But uh, I'll have Geo uh, uh, rattle off the URL uh, at the end so that you can find it. Um, and he gives presentations such as this one. Is encouraged by his employer to do these kinds of things. He is fortunate to live in the beautiful uh, country of Australia on a beach town outside of Melbourne with his wife and two little children. Uh, works remotely as a mobile infrastructure engineer at Automatic. That's uh, three T's, two in the last <laughs> the last syllable, uh, where he helps teams work on uh, applications such as WordPress to ship quality code on a schedule. So I'm going to hand it over to um, Geo here in a second. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar, as usual, submit them via your webinar interface, but please note that they will be answered only at the end. So uh, with that said, uh, Geo, over to you. Hello, everyone. Hey, Rex. Thank you for having me. It's a Gio. pleasure to, to be chatting with you. So here yeah, I'm Geo. Rex has done a, a great job at introducing me, and um, I am a testing enthusiast. Um, actually, I'm a, in the in the test-driven development lingo. We'd call myself a test-infected. Uh, I've tried it. I, I fell in love, and uh, I, I don't want to go back. <laughs> um, at the end of the month, I'll be my, my book, test-driven development, test-driven development in Swift. Uh, it's gonna be available in on the Amazon, on the web, wherever you you get your books, and. Uh, I came to the book through a yeah, journey of, of exploration in what test-driven development is all about. Now, we don't really need to get technical. The, the book is about writing software and coding software. This is not what we're here to talk today. Um, but let me just give you a brief high-level overview of what test-driven development is about. So 
you use test-driven development to write software in a, in a particular way, as the name suggests, is driven by test. So the first thing that you do, it may sound pretty weird, but is <laughs> you actually write a test for the code that you don't have yet. And the test is obviously going to fail because there's no code there. And this is what we call the red stage. Once you have the test, the way it fails, the message that it gives you is the starting point, the, the hint that the, your compiler, your test framework, your system gives you for how to write the code that you need to write. And um, the game there, the trick is to write just as little code as you can, the simplest code that comes to mind, the first code that comes to mind to make the test pass. Once the test passed, you are in the, in the green state. And now you have this um, baseline level, this confidence level that uh, your code does what is supposed to, at least from the point of view of the test. This confidence allows you to then um, refactor, change the shape of your code, uh, make all the tweaks that you need, make it fit in your coding standards, whatever you need to do, make it better, don't repeat yourself. Um, it, the, the test gives you the confidence to operate on your code because you know that if you make a mistake, then uh, the test is going to fail and it's going to tell you. And this is the refactor stage. So test-driven development is a continuous cycle between red, green, and refactor. And uh, once you start to practice test-driven test -driven development and you get comfortable with it, you find that uh, the value of the process of the test is not just to find bugs. It's not only that when uh, someone introduces a bug, the test are going to tell you, but the, the real value for me and for many other test infected folks is in, in the process itself, in the, the way that uh, having this test, the, the way that writing code driven by test helps you pace yourself and shape the way that you're thinking. So in, in what I'd like to talk with you about today is two core pillars of this test-driven mindset. And they are to start with a test and to move in small iteration. Thank you. Thank you, Rex. <laughs> so as I mentioned, um, test-driven, we, we, we start with a test. And the tests are not only a way to make sure that regressions don't appear in the code, but they are a feedback mechanism. So when, um, for example, I want to write a piece of software that converts a CSV file into a dictionary with the breakdown of all the expenses and the, the total amount for the expense. I would start by um, writing a test for that where I have a sample CSV as the input and an assertion that uh, say, hey, the output of the processing should be this and that. This test is going to fail because I haven't written the code yet. And uh, depending on the language, you might in Swift, you might have the compiler might tell you this method that does not exist. I cannot compile and run the test in a um, dynamic uh, interpreted language such as Ruby. You might get a no method error, something like that. This is already a feedback point uh, that guides your, your development. Hey, buddy. Sorry, can, can you go downstairs, buddy? I'm talking with my friends. Sorry, buddy. You're having a 
Yeah, there right. we go. classic, my, my, a classic yeah. COVID, a classic COVID moment classic. here. Uh, classic COVID, yeah. um, COVID moment. <laughs> yep, he 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 wanted to come and say hi or something, but um, I guess he, he's happy now. Um, <laughs> so the 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 test failure is a feedback, and it gives you the direction for 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 what to do next, and right. uh, so. The process of writing the test first makes you go through the, um, do the work to actually understand what you want uh, your software to do. And um, I'm sure Rex, you've seen a lot of this as well. In, in, in the wild, in the industry, there's often some cowboying development, rock and rolling. <laughs> we just start and make a, make changes um, because we, we feel like making them, we don't have a good idea of like what these changes are actually about. So starting with the test forces you to at least have an idea of what is supposed to happen. So I like to um, think of a TDD tests and really just kind of unit tests generally, if they're developed in, in advance as a uh, executable uh, design specification, that kind of a, decent shorthand way of thinking about it? Absolutely. Um, many, many times when I have the pleasure of working in uh, code bases that have good test covers, that have, mm -hmm. even if they haven't been written in a test-driven way, but they have been written with tests in mind, um, I'll go in the test code to see how to use code that my, I might need to change. And um, the beauty of this approach is it is a living documentation. Whereas like a, just a written doc can easily get out of date. If the test doesn't reflect what the code actually does anymore, it is going to fail. So- Right. And because it's included in the build environment, you're gonna, you're gonna know that in real time. Exactly, not like, exactly. Not like, uh, like a, say a written, uh, a, a written manual test where you know, it may be weeks after the change was made to the code before that test is run. Hopefully not, but it could, it, you know, that could happen. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, was, is the test wrong? Is the code wrong? What happened here? But with TDD, you'd be, you'd be getting that immediate feedback like, oops, now the test and the code are out of sync. And so this doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it could be that, um, you introduced a regression, a legit bug. You made a mis you made a mistake, or the um, the assumption on, on what the code should do, the, the value that is generating uh, changed, and right. uh, you just um, didn't know that those assumptions were encoded in some testing in some place. And so, um, well, ideally, when you want to make a change in the code, the same way that you write new code starting from a test you modify existing code starting from its test. Yeah, which is I was a just going to ask again. you that. So then that basically, the test now fails. It used to work. And you're like, well, this was supposed to return five in this situation, but now it actually should return 10. So I'm going to change the expected result in the assert to be exactly. a 10 first, run the test, verify that the test actually fails, then go make the change to the code to, to make the return uh, value 10 right yeah yeah absolutely i have something along those lines in the book and it's together with the um, another section on fixing bugs 
driven by test. And uh, the idea, again, is always start with a test. So if your users report a bug, the first thing you should try to do is write an automated test that reproduces that bug. Uh, using your 5 and 10 example, uh, we are under certain circumstances, it returns 7. So you write a test where you lay out the, the inputs, the, the certain circumstances that uh, make it return 7. And then um, your assertion would be for the expected result for, for five. And you see the test fail. It says, hey, I'm expect I was expecting five, but I got seven. And uh, now the, the bug fixing process is, again, a, a game of fixing that, that test and without breaking anything else in the system. Um, right. right. I, of I course really enjoy fixing the, sorry, the the, the 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 fixing of the bugs, like as your customers or users are reporting these defects, is is effectively growing your regression test set too. So, yeah, to absolutely. the extent that there was something that you missed the first time around, the the the, the missed during during the initial development. I mean, uh, that that test is going to get added in there if that's something that the customers say, "Hey, this this doesn't work. I'm getting a wrong value." Yeah, and um, to circle back on the refactor approach, and um, you've, let's, let's assume that this is a very serious bug. So you can fix it real fast with a, with a hotfix, with a patch, doing whatever you need to do to fix the bug and make all the tests pass, and then ship it to the users. Now you have your test suite, and it has this extra anti-regression test in that. So, the, the test with itself gives you the confidence to now try to refactor, rewrite the code in a way that the fix is more um, elegant. It is not just a patch, it's like a complete reshaping of the, the internal implementation so that that issue can't occur anymore. And the tests are there to, to help you make sure that, um, that you don't make any mistakes. Yeah, don't and worry, I think yeah, this is a good segue in the in the next uh, um, slide. Moving which small the, steps. <laughs> yeah, moving small step. Yeah. So this is really at the at the core of test driven development. Um, as I mentioned, you want to try to move from the red to the green stage in as in as little a step as possible. So write. Um, the first code that comes to mind. Don't worry whether it's beautiful, whether it, sometimes I even just hard code the result that my, my test is at once just to get it to green. And then I refactor the implementation, putting something real in there and just to see if the test is still green. The, there's this quote that I use in the book, uh, um, which is, uh, is a quote from Daniel Eck, the, the CEO of Spotify, which is speed of iteration with Trump quality of iteration. Now the context of this, um, this uh, quote is in a shareholder letter that, uh, that, that he sent out where he was saying, we are gonna do a lot of experiments, a lot of betas. Some of them are gonna be rough. We expect uh, a lot of them to fail where we're gonna make the difference is in the speed at which we're gonna iterate and experiment and learn rather than in how polished these, these experiments are gonna be. Because in, uh, 
in a world that moves as fast as today's, in where there are so many unknowns and so many um, market factors that are outside of our control, really the strategic advantage is in being able to learn, being able to gather feedback and course correct, rather than in doing like um, shipping something that version one is perfect because another quote um, is, there is no idea that survives uh, the um, survives meeting the outside world. Um, you only <laughs> learn a, once you ship, right? That's a, a paraphrase, I believe, of uh, a quote from a general, subsequently president here in the United States, Eisenhower. This uh, note, you know, he was talking about plans, uh, military plans, and he said, "No, no plan survives first contact with the enemy." Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, first contact. First contact with the enemy. The, and, and another way you'll hear that put is the enemy gets a vote. In this case, it's more like the users get a vote, right? The customers get a vote. Yeah. There's what you thought that they were going to do, and then there's what they actually want to do, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't heard that one, but uh, it's very, very true. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll digress for a second. Um, so I work for Automatic, and um, Automatic is the company behind WordPress.com. And uh, um, Automatic was founded by by the co-creator of WordPress itself. So WordPress is an open source software owned by the community. WordPress.com is the, we would say the best way to host uh, your WordPress website without uh, having to worry about maintenance and upgrades. But there's something cool that we say in the WordPress.org world, which is that uh, the users are co-creator they are part of the development process because their input with like the bugs that they find, but also the, the features that they like and the features that they let us know that they would like to have shapes the, the, the process itself. And this is particularly true in open source where sure. um, the users have complete access to, to help and contribute. So I like that the, the, the users get a vote. <laughs> Of course, we'd have to be a little careful with that. And, you know, there are contexts where that would make sense to do, like in like with WordPress um, and other contexts where, you know, you, you to, you know, to, to take the, the, the Zuckerberg version of that, you know, mo moving fast and, and breaking things would not exactly be what you'd want. Like, for example, if you were well, some of my clients make medical devices, for example. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't want them to move fast and break things, because <laughs> move yeah, fast yeah. and break well, things means move fast and kill people. <laughs> you know? yeah, so yeah. To be careful about what you know. What your, you can still iterate quickly, right? But you don't. You don't release quickly. Yeah. You know, it's a de decoupling of the iteration from the release, right? Yeah, uh, that, that's something interesting in, in the in the mobile world. Um, unlike the web, where you can uh, seamlessly deploy to your mm -hmm. users. Uh, in mobile, both in iOS and Android, you go through an app store and uh, there is a review process. There is, you can't just ship. And also yeah. in the web, the user opens a page, but um, every update uh, to an app is something that a user needs to download. So we want to be cognizant. We want to be respectful of the connection of the users, not to make them download too much stuff for no reason. Right. So um, a way a way around it to move fast and, and learn is um, 
to use alpha and beta testing channels. So you can actually ship new, new, new beta version of your, of your apps to a restricted pool of users, sometimes uh, internally to the company as well. A product like, uh, like WordPress, or, yeah, we mentioned Facebook is something that uh, the, the people working on the company can dog food very easily. So um, people inside the company can use these betas that maybe they are released like uh, every other day, every, every night, every week, and help uh, iterate faster without uh, necessarily going out to the, to the real world users straight away. Right. Right. So looking, looking at ways of getting that feedback quickly without uh, necessarily going to full blown release. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, but, uh, I'll jump ahead a few, a few dots in my list, but that is actually find like asking yourself the question, how can I make uh, my feedback time? How can I make this, this step smaller <laughs> is, um, is really important. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that um, really gives a creative outlet in in every application from from like the, the developer thinking about the simplest code that they can write uh, like just you know out of your fingers to the the product iteration that says well maybe we are not going to have uh, animated transitions here we're just going to reload the page to to begin with how can we make it simpler and um, I found that, like a you can almost always find a way to make it simpler, make it smaller. The really hard part is remembering to ask the question. So, and that is the, the, the mindset shift. And it's something that um, the whole team needs to buy into and uh, support each other. Um, yeah. Continuously asking the question, hey, is there, can we do it simpler? Um, Sometimes I'll forget, but a uh, uh, teammate will, will, remember, will remind me. So the, the change of mindset is something that has to happen at the team level. Everyone needs to help each other out with that. Yeah, for, for sure. And that, and that extends into uh, the definition of user stories too, right? I mean, because one of the things that a lot of my clients struggle with is they, they write these user stories that are going to take almost the entire iteration just to get the code done. And I'm like, guys, you know, you have a tester embedded in your, your team. Um, you want to be, you want to utilize that tester to get fast feedback too, not just your automated tests. And the only way you're going to do that is you're going to have to break these user stories up into much smaller pieces so that you're actually giving that tester executable code to test early in the iteration. If you're, if it's, if they're not seeing, executable code that they can test until second to last, you know, last day of the iteration, guess what, you, you know, you get, you get disastrous feedback at the very last moment when it's hard to deal with it. I'm sure you've seen that too, right? Absolutely. And um, um, you, you're probably more well-versed that I am in the uh, shift left idea yeah. of yeah. moving, testing, as left as possible in the development pipeline. Ideally, yeah. um, testers should be part of the development of the user stories. They are yeah. such an incredible resource. They, they know the app from a point of view that developers don't. They know how it breaks, how to break it. They have a, um, a toolbox 
of tricks that they that they <laughs> deploy to to break the app in ways that you would never have guessed, and yes. uh, they can help uh, break down the the user stories, the the definition of of these steps to in which we want to build in a way that uh, not only helps them test faster, but also achieves this goal of like uh, shipping whether it is to the end user or to like internal channels earlier so that we can gather real world feedback. Oh yeah. I mean, ideally there, you know, the situations that I see that are working well, you've got the testers engaged, not just in dialogues about the user stories, but they're actually defining acceptance criteria and then going to the next level of that and, and defining the, you know, uh, given when then statements that are specifying what, what, good looks like for those acceptance criteria, right? So you're actually right down into the feeding, feeding into the automated BDD tests that are going to be part of the, the automation solution, complementing the test-driven development stuff that you're talking about, right? So Absolutely. ideally, ideally, all of that stuff would be happening in parallel as part of the, uh, of the iteration. Yeah, yeah. And again, you can this works very well when the steps are, are small because the, the, the overhead the, the, is little. So the code yeah. is ready and the tester can start writing the, the acceptance task straight away or, or maybe like even like, a, you know, let's push it to the extreme a developer and tester pair program on, uh, on, on the, this process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there is one last um, thing that I, that I glossed over, which is small steps allow you to, to move faster um, or rather to iterate faster. And they also lower the, the cost of failure. Yeah. Again, we said um, you start with a test. Everything is almost a, an experiment. You have an assumption that you want to validate in the world. And um you know, let's be humble, not all of our assumptions are going to be correct, right? <laughs> and uh, the sooner we learn about it, the, the better, because we you can learn, hey, this is how I fix it, this is how I course correct, or this is really at that end, and uh, I need to pursue a different avenue. Yep. All right, well, that that's great. Um, well, let me go ahead and put the, uh, put the advertisement up here. So, of course, ultimately, it all comes down to, to business, right? Uh, and while we get into the Q and A um, uh, aspect here, um, so we have a question from Dan. Uh, he says, "How many tests do you create? One per business function, one per story, one for task, one per acceptance criteria." So that's an interesting question. When we're talking about TDD, how many how many tests? Yep. Um... I guess it depends on the, the, the type of test. My expertise, the, I operate at the unit test level mostly. And um, um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example from the book. Uh, I start uh, with like um, implementing the FISBAS algorithm, the infamous FISBAS algorithm used in uh, um, software engineering interviews. Um, and uh, for that uh, relatively simple piece of code, I write uh, one, two, three, four unit tests. And uh, you, could, you could write many more than, than those if you wanted. Um, 
So from a unit test point of view, it depends on the, um, the kind of code that you're writing, the, the possible input that it needs to handle and the, the, um, the permutations of input and, and output. When you move um, one level or like a few level of abstraction I up into the, uh, let's call them acceptance or, or functional test um, yeah. realm, I, I would say you, you probably would want to write uh, ideally one test per uh, scenario. So as a user that is not uh, logged in, when I load the homepage, I see the marketing copy or I see um, authentication um, sure. form. And then like um, as a user that is logged in, when I load the homepage, I see my dashboard. So each of those would have his own test. And yeah. then if you have um, a certain um, special case, like uh, as a user that is logged in, but with an um, expired session, uh, when I load the homepage, I'm redirected back to the login page with uh, your session expired. Please log in again, uh, um, banner at the top, something right. like that. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose if you're, I mean, one way to think about it from a code point of view would be, you know, if you look at like a cyclomatic complexity, that's going to give you general rule of thumb of this is how many asserts I probably ought to have in my my, my tests, right? I'm be yeah. Checking checking roughly what the cyclomatic complexity is. Yeah, totally. And uh, when you approach writing code from a TDD point of view, the the test is a is a feedback mechanism. I, I sound like a broken record. So <laughs> if you need more feedback, more confidence, more help to understand what your code does. You just just write more tests. More tests. There's actually a, a technique that is called uh, uh, triangulation, which uh, basically says if you have code for where you're not that confident about the relationship between input and output, just uh, add more um, assert statement, more combinations of uh, inputs and outputs. So like um, for my mm. FISBAS example, if I wasn't uh, uh, that confident of my implementation, I would say uh, given three, I expect uh, fees. Given six, I expect fees. Given nine, I, expe I, ex I expect fees. So I would just add more uh, input output assertions just to increase the surface area of the um, input output space that I'm exercising. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, uh, great. So um, we ran a little teeny bit long here, but um, I just want to throw a couple things at you here. One, one is sort of a comment. You mentioned test infected. I believe I actually know the creator of that, uh, of that expression. I believe that's Elizabeth Hendrickson that came up with it that. It, it is possible. I now at the top, I did uh, follow the rabbit hole to to uh, you know get to the source, but uh -huh. I don't remember it at the top of my head. Uh -huh. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'd love to have a, a chat with, with Elizabeth if, if that's the case. Uh, she's she's out there. She's still practicing. So yeah, get get, uh, get in touch with her. She was I, I, again. I think the uh, the creator of that back in the 
the 2000s. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting to hear you mention it. It's like, oh, yeah, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, so, and, and we have a, a geographic link here. I don't know, can you identify my background? You're not far from it. Well, comparatively. It's, it's Wellington, oh, Har Wellington uh, Harbor. Okay, okay. So <laughs> I was looking at the background of the of the slide. And uh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, nice, lovely. Yeah, well, Wellington, windy yeah. Wellington Harbor there. So yeah, not, not terribly far from where you are. Uh, I suppose everything's relative. It's <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably a good six or seven hour plane ride for you. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, great. Well, I appreciate your, uh, your time here. Let me uh, just wind this down and just... Uh, uh, say a little more about us, and uh, and I put your I put your the link to your blog in the chat. So I mentioned that before, and it said that we're gonna tell people, but now it's it's in the chat, so everybody's got it. So uh, yes, thank you for your time, um, and uh, thank everybody for coming. I hope you all enjoyed this uh, free webinar uh, from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community. Because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company, uh, but if you enjoy these webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred te software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. Be happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. You can contact us at the coordinates here, info at rbcs-us.com. And again, thank you, Gio, for a uh, fun and enlightening conversation about uh, TDD. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Rex. Thank you to everyone, everyone who tuned in live and who might be listening to this in the recording. Uh, it's been lots of fun. Um, yeah. Great. Cheers. And, and good, good luck with the book. Uh, I know that's always fun. Is that the first book? It is, yeah. Uh, okay, the, the first book is always the, the most educational experience of the book writing ones um it's been a great learning experience yes yeah you you learn more from from writing it than you might imagine and that, that certainly was totally. my experience and that organizing of your thinking about the topic is something i found tremendously valuable so i'm sure you get that same benefit so yeah well, well very good thank you geo thanks everybody in the audience and uh look forward to uh seeing all of you at our, our next webinar and again uh uh, Geo, best of luck on the book. Thank you, everyone. All right, thank you.